All right, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, this is your first time to Remnant. Uh, you stumbled into a place where we take God's word very seriously, but not particularly ourselves. And so I hope you find this to be a place where you can take the next step towards Jesus, whatever that step may be. And we've been in this series where I've been talking about flashpoints. I've been talking about moments in your life where you know something's happening and you know you'll never again be the same. And for the last four weeks, we've been looking at this flashpoint moment in the Bible when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. Jesus had promised to help her. And they're praying and they're hoping and they're anticipating. And then one day uh, on Pentecost, the Spirit falls on these people. And, and we've been looking at that one moment now for four weeks. Uh, and there's so much in this I've talked about how I actually think I could preach on this one moment for about 12 weeks, just this one event. If you don't believe me, you haven't been here very long. Uh, I can drag out anything. So, um, but we're going to look at another link that happened in the Bible. One of the things I talk about is that as I began to study the Bible and look at themes, I began to realize that only God could write this book. There are too many themes that go from beginning to end. And last week we talked about one uh, we talked about what it meant to have new wine and how new wine always represented the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at another link that occurred in this moment at Pentecost. Now, much is made about the fact that they spoke in tongues. In fact, as soon as you say speaking in tongues, people start separating like Democrats and Republicans really quickly. It just kind of happens. But the problem is we focus on speaking in tongues. I don't know why. And we miss the actual deeper meaning of what it means. And so we're going to talk about that today. Speaking in tongues points to something much deeper than just speaking in a language you don't know. There's a theme throughout the Bible that God weaved, and we're going to look at it today. Speaking in tongues is unique. Why they spoke in tongues is incredible. So the Spirit fell on them. Why do they speak in tongues? Obviously, it helped those at Jerusalem at Pentecost by hearing about God in their own native tongue. They could tell something supernatural had happened. They could hear the good news about Jesus, and we know from Scripture that 3,000 of them surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ that day. But something deeper is happening. The only reason they had to speak in tongues is because God had confused their language in the first place. Immediately after Noah's flood, everyone speaks the same language. God had promised the rainbow. He'd never flood them again. He blessed them. He told them to multiply, to fill the earth. He went to them. He said, I have my blessings for you. Even though they had sinned, even though they had turned their back on him, he's pouring out his blessings on them. He says, look, I want you to go out and multiply. And I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky so you'll know I promise never to flood the world again. And it's often when God loves and blesses us that we tend to reject and sin against him. Genesis 11.1. 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. 
And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now, one of the things that's really important when you're reading scripture, we've talked about this a lot, is geography always matters. If God took the time to put a place in the Bible, there's a reason it's there. Shinar. It's the biblical designation for the area of the Tigris and Euphrates Basin. Mesopotamia, we call it. The same region that, uh, that experienced the earliest development of civilization. The, the cities there are Ur, Eridu, Uruk, and Nippur. The one you'll hear about in the Bible all the time is Ur. Throughout scriptures and prophetically looking ahead into the future, this area is always associated with man's pride and man's rebellion. You remember Adam and Eve's rebellion in the Garden of Eden? Do you know where the Garden of Eden was? And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth is the Euphrates. Man's original rebellion against God came from this area. In the midst of a blessing, here is all creation. Here's everything you ever need. Man rebels, God pours out his wrath in this place, Mesopotamia, a place that will eventually be called Babylon. Remember Cain and Abel? How Cain killed Abel and then God sold him to set his cities up east of Nod? Do you know where Nod is? Babylon. Do you remember Noah and the land he lived in where everybody had rejected and rebelled against God except Noah walked with God? And Noah was the only one left and God rescued Noah and protected him from the ark. Do you know where Noah lived? Babylon. Babylon is found in Genesis 10 in a table of nations. Here Moses traces the generations of Noah's children. He talks about Shem and Ham and Japheth. But when he talks about the descendants of Ham, those responsible for a great deal of trouble, those that had God's punishment upon them, Moses wrote the following. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was like a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalneh, in the land of Shinar. Nimrod is recorded as the founder of a place called Babel, later called Babylon. Nimrod's nature and character are seen in his name. His name means let us revolt, let us rebel. God's idea was of a king was a shepherd who cared for people. Nimrod's was an idea of a very powerful king who took people in custody. And then there's this moment at the Tower of Babel, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Remember Abraham? He was called by God to lead God's people. Remember that? He was told to leave his homeland, but he wasn't told where he was going to go. Do you know where his homeland was? Terah took Abram, the son, Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. 
And he said to them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to you. Chaldeans, Mesopotamia, Ur, Babylon, Eden, all the same place. One recurrent theme in the Bible is that there's evil in Babylon. Every time Babylon is mentioned in the Bible, it's about evil. It's about rebellion against God. And in this situation, God takes Abraham out of there. He rescues him. And he takes him to the promised land. He rescued Abraham and brought him to the area of the promised land around the Dead Sea. But there's another theme that runs through Bible. That theme is that evil chases God's people even when they get to the promised land. Just because they arrive in the promised land doesn't mean they've arrived. Evil still chases them. Do you remember hearing about Sodom and Gomorrah? How Jesus always used them as the example of evil? Do you wonder how those cities became so evil? Genesis 13, 9. Is not the whole land before you, before you, Abraham said, separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you take the right, I'll go to the left. He's telling Lot, his nephew, look, we, we're too big to be together. You take what you want, I'll go wherever you don't go. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered like the garden of the Lord. So he chose the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. And they separated and Abraham settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Saddam. And the men of Sodom were wicked, great wicked against the Lord. Lot looked up and he saw land and he said, that land looks like Babylon. That's home. And he chose it and we're told it's full of wicked people. Abraham had no sooner arrived in the promised land when the evils of Babylon followed him there. Look who invades the valley of the Dead Sea. Sodom and Gomorrah are at the base of the Dead Sea. If you want to visit them today, you can't because it's under the Dead Sea. Read this though. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elishar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goam, these kings made war with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. These kings came and made war in the promised land at Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you notice who the kings are? Amraphel, king of Shinar. That's Babylon. Abraham had no sooner got to the promised land when the king of Babylon comes and begins to invade it. Sodom and Gomorrah were attacked and they were defeated by this confederation of kings and many were taken captive. And that included Lot, the nephew of Abraham. But there's a bigger picture here. Sodom and Gomorrah are, landed, are, are placed in the land of Palestine, Canaan. The land God had promised. Even though they had arrived and even though Abraham was doing what God had promised, evil still followed. He brought him to the promised land. The king of Babylon captures Lot and Abraham. He has to go rescue him. Evil tried to steal him. God saved him. Another thing. What does Abraham do to thank God for victory over Babylon's attack? Don't miss the symbolism. This is so critical. 
Abraham has come to the promised land. The evil king has come trying to destroy him, trying to steal his, his relatives, his family. Abraham saves them through the power of Jesus, through the power of God. And the first thing Abraham does after his victory, he wants to thank God. He stops at a place called Salem. Do you know where Salem is? Jerusalem. He travels from where he is to a place called Salem, which will eventually be Jerusalem, the city of God. There he receives a blessing from Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And in the Bible, he is often thought to be a manifestation of Christ himself. And we begin to see this contrast between the city of God, Jerusalem, and the city of Babylon, evil. Sodom and Gomorrah would remain evil until God destroys them with fire from above. Let me read that to you. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley. He looked, and behold, the smoke of the lamb went up like smoke of a furnace. Later, we learned in the Jeremiah series that God would actually use these evil people from Babylon to come and invade Judah and punish the Jews for rebellion. That's why they were so freaked out that God was allowing the Babylons to invade. The Babylons represented the evil of evil. King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, carried off many Jews to Babylon, including Daniel. And because of the awful destruction caused by the Babylonians, Babylonian and Babylon are always a stereotypical symbol of the enemies of God. When you read scripture and you see Babylon, it's the enemy of God. They're also called Chaldeans. Chaldean King Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king. Isaiah 47.1, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Throughout scripture, the Bible often, Scripture always talks about bringing Babylon down to the dirt, bringing Babylon down to its place. Isaiah 21, 9, And behold, here come riders, horsemen in pairs. And he answered, Fallen, fallen is Babylon, and all the carved images of her God he has shattered to the ground. Babylon is mentioned 260 times in Scripture. And it's second in importance only to Jerusalem. Biblically, it is viewed as the devil's city, while Jerusalem is viewed as God's city. They are always in opposition to each other. Babylon is the result of apostasy against God's plan of salvation. Jerusalem is the call of man to come home and a nation that participates in his salvation and righteousness for the world. As you may or may not know, the city of ancient Babylon is in Iraq, 50 miles south of Baghdad on the Euphrates River. What you may not know is that prior to Desert Storm and the conflict in Iraq, Saddam Hussein 
had for several years been working to uncover Babylon and the ruins of Babylon because he wanted to establish himself as practically the incarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, the great Babylonian king. So this area gets its name Babel. And I want to go back to where that comes from, Genesis eleven seven. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth and they left the building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Have you ever thought how odd this is? I mean, okay, maybe I have a weird sense of studying the Bible. Most people here teach that God is punishing the people, that they had all got together, they decided they could build their own tower to God, they decided that they knew more than God, they could be their own God, and God came down and punished them. They rejected God, they refused to believe his, his blessing, they tried to build their own way, they told God they don't need him, they don't want him, they don't care about him, they're in Babel, they're doing fine. But think about this. God has everything at his disposal. Lightning bolts, plagues, sicknesses, storehouses of hail. He could have brought down anything to punish them. But he turns to the other members of the Trinity and he said, let's go down there and mess up their language. Yeah, that'll show them. Really? Notice how personal this is. God doesn't send it from heaven. He goes himself. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, go down there and let's confuse their language. He doesn't tell them that because he wants to punish them. He's trying to protect them. Genesis eleven six, and the Lord said, behold, there are one people and they have one language. And this is the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. What he's saying is fallen man without the spirit of God is going to do horrible things. And if they can effectively communicate, if they can effectively grow their pride and their rebellion, he divided their tongues to protect them from themselves, to keep man from ultimate evil. You see, a world devoid of God, if organized, is hell. God divided tongues to make it harder for man to organize themselves. He wasn't punishing them. It's actually his love. With one tongue and devoid of the Holy Spirit, we would have been doomed. We would have destroyed ourselves. But God says, I can't let you do that. I can't let you organize because if you organize in evil without my spirit, you're going to do horrible things. God divided their tongues to protect man from himself. Remember, every one of us is born in the flesh an enemy of God. Now God is doing a new thing. We've been talking about it for weeks. The Spirit of God has moved from being with people in the Holy of Holies and now in people, in their hearts. What better way to demonstrate the new presence of the Holy Spirit than to resolve the issue of multiple tongues? 
Here's another interesting thing to think about, and don't worry, I'll tie all this together. The scriptures tell us that originally there was one language for humans. Every language came from that one. God confused the speech and the words of the people. Have you ever studied linguistics? It's interesting to watch non-believers try to explain the origin of language. They struggle trying to explain why humans speak. And why do we communicate in spoken languages when other animal species don't? Modern linguists know that man didn't invent language any more than he invented his circulatory or nervous system. It's too intricate. Language is so complex because language exists as a whole system, not just parts put together, the brain, the tongue, the speech, the able to hear. All those things are interconnected. You can't make that happen. The ability to reason, to use the cerebral hemispheres, all those things. Most modern linguistics, though, they all agree although they can't explain it, that it looks like every language on earth came from one language. They said somehow man must have evolved into other languages. Languages drove people across the world to settle together. They could have saved thousands of years of research if they would have just read Genesis. There was one language and God split the languages, but the story doesn't end there. We're going to see Babel in Jerusalem again. Babel is in Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Prophecies point to moments in the future when God will once again raise up his holy city, Jerusalem, and contrast it with the city that represents man's pride and rebellion, Babylon. You can read about it today. Just pick up the paper. Or better, just pick up this book. You'll know what's going to happen. There's a war coming between Jerusalem and Babylon. I don't know, I'm just, it's in the scriptures. Babylon figures very prominently in the book of Revelation. It's perceived as the ultimate enemy of God and a, and a persecutor of people. Babylon the Great will be overthrown. Here's how she's described in Revelation chapter 17. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Babylon is characterized as a woman who, who has horrible characteristics and represents all that is evil and kills the saints. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who've been slain on earth. 
After I heard this, what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged her on the blood of his servants. It really is a tale of two cities. What God did at Babel, he's undoing at Jerusalem. With the events of Jerusalem at Pentecost, what God accomplished at Babel, he seemed to restore in Jerusalem. People of Babel were driven by their sin. God dispersed them and confused their languages. But for those in Jerusalem who believed in Jesus, he took care of their sins and he brought them back to him. And he resolved their language differences. Babel displayed the spirit of pride and arrogance. What happens at Jerusalem on Pentecost displayed his love. Babel divided men through language. What happened at Jerusalem helped them understand languages. Babel brought confusion. What happened at Pentecost brought peace. Babel showed us man full of himself. What happened at Jerusalem was man full of the Holy Spirit. Babel brought destruction of the tower. What happened at Jerusalem on Pentecost brought the foundation of the church. Babel scattered men across the earth speaking about God's wrath. What happened in Jerusalem at Pentecost sent man across the earth telling them about God's love. But there's a bigger picture here too. God placed man in Babylon, in the Garden of Eden. He blessed them and he gave them everything. Yet Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And the Spirit of God left the earth. From Adam and Eve's sin until the moment at Pentecost, the presence of the Holy Spirit was only briefly and rarely intermittent on earth. As soon as Adam and Eve said, no, God, we got this. We don't need you. We're going to do our own thing. We want to be our own God. As soon as that moment happened, the Spirit of God left the earth with a promise to return one day. Because the Spirit could not live in you and me when we become fallen, sinful people. Our sin has to be taken care of before the Spirit can return. Without the Spirit of God, man always chooses to worship himself, to try to become his own God. The entire Old Testament shows us how that failed miserably. When man rejected God's Word and began trying to build their own way to heaven, God confused their words. He divided their tongues. So man, fallen man, had his own language and his own word, and he rejected God's word. There's only one reason the Holy Spirit was no longer present on earth. Sin. Until that was resolved, the Holy Spirit couldn't be universally present on earth. So Jesus paid the price and resolved the sin issue. We discussed last week how the curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn in two and God's Spirit was poured out from behind the Holy of Holies to the, all believers into their hearts. Those who believed in Jesus in faith were now reconciled with God because Jesus cleansed them of their sin. The payment that Jesus made on the cross allowed us to be vessels that could now house the Holy Spirit. Parallels throughout Scripture are drawn over and over. Mount Sinai is linked to Pentecost. 
Pentecost is linked to Babel. Hundreds of prophecies point to the Savior, the promised one. And then there are prophecies that promised an outpouring of the Spirit onto God's people. Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Let's go to that moment for just a minute. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The Holy Spirit fell individually on each person. The Spirit fell and rested. In other words, stayed. Without the Spirit, the languages of the world had been confused by God. It was His care at Babel about the rebellion. So now the Spirit of God has returned. Satan has been defeated by Jesus on the cross, and all believers can now receive and communicate through the Spirit. To demonstrate this new relationship, God demonstrated to people at Pentecost at His return that He was going to solve the language barrier. You see, what happened was when we didn't have God as our leader and we organize ourselves and we speak one language, we're going to do horrible things. But now that we've accepted Jesus and God as our leader, we can receive the Holy Spirit and do incredible things. Acts 2.5, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Notice they were speaking in known tongues, not new tongues. They weren't speaking gibberish. They didn't need an interpreter. Each person, all 3,000 of them, heard them speak in their own language, and I believe including Texan. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are these not all speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? The Spirit of God is solving the language barrier. Why? We hear them telling in our tongues the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. Why did people speak in tongues that day? So that people could hear and understand the mighty works of God. Why does the Holy Spirit do anything the Holy Spirit does? So people can hear and understand the mighty works of God. We're going to see that through this series. Every spiritual gift is given so people can see the mighty works of God and no other reason. God gave man one language and then man rebelled. God protected us by confusing our speech. The Spirit returned and foreshadowed a day when everyone would work Jesus, worship Jesus in tongue of the Spirit with one voice. You see, when God created man before the fall, he created man in his image. And he made man his representative on earth. Man spoke on language. And then we send, and now man speaks many languages. But one day, one day in the future, I believe we'll all speak one language together. We know from Scripture that Jesus is going to have a new name. We know from Scripture that each one of us is going to have a new name. We know Israel will be called by a new name. Many believe that the prayer language that some people experience, we'll talk about this a lot later, is an earthly utterance of that language of the Holy Spirit in prayer. 
We'll get to that later in the series, but for now, I think I can support the fact that one day we will all speak the language of the Spirit. So, so let me explain this to you for just a minute. I don't want to get too far off on this because I think we have a whole sermon on it, but there is a prayer language that people have. And it occurs when you get deep enough in prayer where your words just don't work anymore. And your mind is shut off, it's not you, and the Spirit is speaking to God. The Spirit in you is speaking. You don't know what's being said, you have no idea. It's a prayer language. No need for an interpreter, the audience is God. Okay? I believe, and I'm gonna try to support a little bit, that one day we will all speak that language. One language, the Spirit of God from the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. We utter mysteries in the Spirit. We don't understand them. Because they're communications between the Holy Spirit and us and God the Father. It's the language of the Holy Spirit, the inner communication of the Trinity. Paul told the Romans to look forward to a day. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One day there's a promise we will all at the throne worship God with one voice. You see the theme here? One voice we started with. It was separated because of man's sin. Man's sin is taken care of. And now we're moving to a time when we all will celebrate with one voice. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. The voice of many angels, singular. Not voices, the voice of many angels numbering myriad of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, singular again, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. The language of the Holy Spirit is the worship of Jesus. Everything the Holy Spirit does worships Jesus. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and he avenged on her the blood of his servants. In Revelation, it tells us that the blood of the martyrs is crying out to God, do something. Revenge our blood. And here in this moment, God destroys Babylon. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Where have we seen that before? God's punishment, smoke goes up. Sodom and Gomorrah. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you servants who fear him, small and great. 
And then I heard what seemed to be the voice, singular, of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord, the God Almighty reigns. Babylon destroyed. Smoke comes up forever and ever. The voice, not voices, the voice, the single voice of the multitude of believers in heaven, the voice of the Holy Spirit doing what he does, worshiping Jesus. All is restored. All is corrected. All are reunited with God. The Spirit reigns and all the glory goes to Jesus. They didn't just speak in tongues to speak in tongues. They spoke in tongues because it mattered. It mattered because now with the Spirit of God in us, nothing can stop us. When we align with Christ, everything falls into place. No need for, for God to confuse us anymore. We're very clear. We know our purpose. And one day in the future, you and I will stand at that throne and we are part of that multitude. Not, it seems great, it might happen. No, no, you and I one day will be looking at each other across the thing going, wow, we're here. Can you believe it? All those things God said, we are here. We are here right now and we are worshiping with one voice. And until that moment, we get to do the same thing right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you that nothing you do in the Bible is by accident. Babylon is an evil place. It will be destroyed, both spiritually, physically, and politically. God, you will reign. Your truth reigns. Thank you for bringing us together through the Spirit. Thank you for solving our sin issues. Thank you for allowing us to be your voice a world that's trying to go deaf. God, one day we will stand at your throne and your altar in heaven and we will praise you and sing to you with everything we have because the voice of the Spirit can't be contained within us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.